You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon The incarnation. Jesus, Son of God, became a human being. Why would he do that? That's a great, great question, Jack. Thank you. Why would, why would God do that? And yet, because he did, we love him. We appreciate our God. We love Jesus, who took on human flesh, who was the Son of God in human form. We're very grateful that God loved us before we ever loved him, before we knew to love him. And that's the fundamental reason why we want to do what our Lord commanded us and share the light of his goodness and the hope he gives us with the people around us. We want to let our light shine because our God has been so good to us. He's been too good to us for us to just keep it to ourselves. And this is what Jesus taught us to do. And we love him and so we obey his commands because we love him. So this is what we've been talking about in this sermon series What can we do to shape ourselves and our approach to other people to make it as easy as possible for them to hear our message about Jesus and maybe respond to it? How can we we get better and better at doing that? A friend told me a few weeks ago a story about his daughter who lives in the Midwest. We'll call her Erica. That is not her real name. Erica grew up in the church, but she fell away from the Lord some years ago. She, uh, she married a man. They had two little kids, and then he did her wrong, and just in the past year or so, I think, they got divorced. And so now Erica, age 33, is a single mom, hurting from the recent divorce, trying to raise a four-year-old little boy and an 18-month-old little girl. Dad, my friend, has been praying and praying that Erica would go back to church. She needs Jesus, you know, just like you and I do. But she's been hesitant. She's just been through so much. And it's scary, you know, to go to a new church where you don't know anybody and to walk in for the first time not knowing what you'll find when you go in. Especially when you're alone with two little kids. Something happened a few weeks ago. Erica was out driving in the city and she got hit by another car. Nobody was hurt. It wasn't a real bad accident. Just a little one. It was bad enough, I'm sure. Uh, And it was the other driver's fault. And he felt terrible about it. And he wanted to make it right. And so as they were standing there, I I don't know, maybe waiting for the police officer to come or something. As they were standing there at the scene of the accident, they got to talking. And he found out she was a single mom. And so he took a little risk. And he told her his church loves single parents and their kids. And he thought his church would really like to help her out. And he wondered if she might be willing to come and visit them one Sunday. And so she took the name of his church and, and the address. Turns out he was a member at our sister church, a church of Christ, in their city. Talk about an answer to dad's prayers. Well, Erica thought about it for a while after that day. She knew her dad really wanted her to go back to church. 
This man who had crashed into her car had been so kind, so understanding. Sounded like a really loving church. And so she took a chance and she went. She took the kids with her. And wouldn't you know it, her four-year-old son was a bit distracted during the service, as little kids can be sometimes. Um, You know, most four-year-olds don't catch the whole sermon on a given Sunday. All of us who have raised children in the church can relate. Well, her son was playing with a, a little toy that Erica had brought for him, and that toy happened to be a bit noisy during the worship service. And at one point, a woman in the church came over to Erica, and Erica thought the woman might offer to help her with the kids. But instead, the woman said something to the effect of, that is not an appropriate toy to have in the worship service. How do you think Erica felt at that moment? Now, after worship, several other church members who had seen what had happened came up and apologized to her. But you know, it only takes one person to drive away someone God is trying to lead to Jesus. God forbid that any one of us would ever be that person. We are studying how to let our light shine because we want to do better than that. Erica came away from that church hurting. She told her dad the story. Dad told me. I don't know whether Erica will ever give that church a second chance. I hope she will. I pray she will. But I don't know. I don't know if she will. It seems to me that in that congregation, there are two kinds of people. There are people who understand incarnational ministry and people who don't. Now, that's a phrase we don't use very often, so uh, just practice it with me if you would. I'll say it. You repeat it. Incarnational ministry. Good. One more time. Incarnational ministry. Great, thank you. Now let me explain what that is. So we call Jesus becoming God in flesh the incarnation, as Jack explained for us. So the Son of God took on himself carnal form, fleshly form. He became God incarnate, God in flesh. God became a human being. Or more specifically, the Son of God became a human being. And so incarnational ministry is ministry that's based on, is like the incarnation of Jesus. So incarnational ministry is doing for others what Jesus did for us when he became one of us. Instead of demanding that we became like him, which was impossible for us, you know, sinless, holy, find some way to ascend to heaven, which is obviously beyond our capacity, Jesus became like us. And so as Jack just described for us, he took on human flesh, he emptied himself, he was conceived and born as a human being, he lived and died as a human being, all to bring God to us so that we could come to God, we who could not come to God on our own. He did this because he loved us. So in incarnational ministry, with the same love for others that Jesus had for us, we take Jesus as our example, and we step out of our present position, out of our comfort zone, out of our own way of doing things, and we take on some of the identity of the person we're trying to share the gospel with in order to make it as easy as possible for them to hear the good news of Jesus and respond to it. 
It's like my friends Alan and Rachel Howell, who were missionaries to the Makua people in Mozambique for 15 years. You can see a picture of them there on the screen. Their girls are a lot older than that now. Their oldest is about the same age as our oldest. She's in college today. They, in Mozambique, they learned the local language. They learned the local people's customs. Whatever the Makua people they were ministering to worried about became important to them also. Their kids played with the Makua kids, often in Makua ways. They were Americans, but in order to share the gospel with the Makua people, they became sort of Makua themselves. The Apostle Paul, without ever using our term this morning, incarnational ministry, describes incarnational ministry in the evangelistic strategy that he used in his own work of spreading the gospel. He describes it this way in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 19. Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Well, Paul here is teaching the church in Corinth how to give up their rights in order to serve each other. That's kind of a larger context of what we just read. Just before what we just read, as one example, he says that he has the right to be paid for his work of teaching the church about Jesus, but he doesn't want to be paid because he wants to be able to preach for free so that he doesn't hinder the progress of the gospel by making people pay for it. More people will hear it if they don't have to pay for it on the front end. And so Paul gives up that right in order to serve the people he's sharing the gospel with. What we just read is his next example of giving up his rights in order to share the gospel effectively. He says in verse 19 that though he's free and belongs to no one, he makes himself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He's a free man. He's not a slave. But he freely offers himself as a sort of slave to everyone so that he can more effectively win them to Jesus. Okay, how does he do that? He gives three examples. In verse 20... Uh, Four examples, four examples. Verse 20, he says, to the Jews, he becomes like a Jew to win the Jews. Which is a funny thing for him to say because Paul was born a Jew. He's been a Jew all his life. But as a Christian, he's been set free by Jesus from obligation to do a lot of the things that the law of Moses required of Jewish people. Like eating only clean foods, what today we would call kosher foods. Paul didn't have to follow that law anymore. Jesus set us free from that. Resting on the Sabbath, bringing sacrifices to the temple, that sort of thing that Jews were required to do. Well, as a Jew, Paul could still do these things, but in Jesus, he was not required to anymore. Christians are not saved by keeping the commands of the law of Moses, but by following Jesus, the Son of God. 
And yet, in order to win Jews to Jesus, Paul would become like a Jew again, do all the things they do in order to build a relationship with them to make it easier for them to receive the message of Jesus. Then in verse 20, he says, To those under the law, I became like one under the law. So again, meaning Jews who were under the law of Moses, but possibly now also including God-fearers, Gentiles who followed part of the law of Moses, but never actually became full Jews. We meet a few of them in the book of Acts. They were sort of under God's law for Israel. Here Paul points out that he's not under the law himself, meaning the law of Moses. The authority of Jesus supersedes the law of Moses. But Paul will step back under the law if that will help him reach people who are under the law with the message of Jesus. In verse 21, he says, to those not having the law. Now he means Gentiles, non-Jews, people who have grown up without the law of Moses. He became like one not having the law. So with Gentiles, Paul might work on the Sabbath day because they did. He might eat pork because they did. He might eat some other unclean food like they did. And he will do this in order to relate to these Gentiles in a way that will help them come to know Jesus. He will step out of his own identity as a Jew and identify with them as Gentiles in order to share with them the message of Jesus. Now, there is one limit on how far he'll go to relate to them. He will not go so far as to join them in sin. He may be under the law of Moses, or may not be under the law of Moses anymore, but he is still under Christ's law. So he cannot do anything against Christ. So he can ignore the old food laws because Jesus said that Christians can do that, but he can't go out and commit adultery in order to help bring his new inappropriate girlfriend to Christ. That he can't do. God forbid. He can't go out and join a gang of thieves in order to lead this gang of thieves to Christ. He is still under the law of God, but now through Christ, through Christ's law, not through the law of Moses anymore. So he cannot do anything that would displease Christ. But he can, for example, eat with Gentiles, which strict Jews would not have done in those days. He will do that in order to build a relationship with them that will allow him to share the gospel with them. In verse 22, he says, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. So when Paul is with people who are weak, he'll make himself weak like they are, meet them on their level. As Jesus became human in order to bring us to God, Paul became like the people who he was ministering to in order to bring them to Jesus. Interestingly, he says in verse 22, so that by all possible means I might save some. Some. Three times Paul says all. All things to all people by all possible means. So we might expect him to say so that we might save all. But he says so that we might save some. Which reminds us that even the best evangelistic techniques will not bring everyone to faith in Jesus. Even Jesus himself, best evangelist ever, straight from God, did not save everyone, though he wanted to. He died to save everyone, but not everyone responds to him. But God lets people turn away from him if we insist. 
And so as we talk about tips and techniques from the Bible for how to let our light shine to others, it's important that we recognize that this is hard work. We need to have the humility to understand not everyone will turn to Christ. And if, if some reject our message about Jesus, we shouldn't then give up and despair because sometimes they rejected Jesus himself too. But this should call us to, uh, to work hard because it's important that people come to Christ. And so that makes it all the more important that we do the very best we can, present the gospel as well as we can, understanding it's difficult for most people to turn to Jesus. And so Paul made himself a slave to everyone, became like the people he was ministering to in order to win as many as he could for Christ so they could be saved from God's judgment. In verse 23, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in, his blessing, in its blessings. He does all this for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, because in bringing people to God, Paul himself gets to share in the blessings of the gospel. He's doing what God has called him to do. He is getting to experience the eternal joy of helping another person come to God. And so in the book of Acts, when we read about Paul's uh, missionary work and his travels to different places, how he started new churches in different cities, whenever Paul travels to a new city to start a new church there, he typically goes to the Jewish synagogue first. To the Jews, he became like a Jew. And so he would go there on the Sabbath, he would learn with them, he would teach there in the synagogue, he would tell them about Jesus there, he would live like a Jew while he was with them. Eventually, he would reach out to Gentiles in the area, and with them, he could step away from the obligations of the law of Moses and join in their culture a bit. Not the sinful parts, you know, he was not going to go to the, the, the uh, temple of, of some other god and worship idols at that temple. But the normal parts, eating with them, spending time with them, living life with them. And in this way, he could minister to Jews at their level and to Gentiles at their level. This is incarnational ministry. Becoming like the other person, identifying with them as Jesus identified with us. So that you can make it as easy as possible for the other person to hear and maybe respond to the message of Jesus. I praise God that this man... Uh, who crashed into Erica's car. That's what he did. He did incarnational ministry. He identified with her as a single mom, not because he is a single mom, obviously, but out of godly love. He saw her situation. He thought his church might be able to help, and he invited her to come and experience the family of God at his church. He did well. Tragically, She, when she did come, encountered someone who did not embody incarnational ministry. But that first man got it right. He cared. He encouraged Erica. He met her at her level. He told her he thought his church might be able to help her as she raised her kids. And maybe they could have. Maybe they could have. I would love for God to give them a second chance. In fact, if you think of Erica's story later this week, pray that God would give that church a second chance with her. Her real name is not Erica, but God knows her real name. He knows exactly who she is. Pray for her if you think of her. My friends, Alan and Rachel, when they were missionaries in Mozambique, could have kept to themselves, you know, could have stayed in their house and only taught people who came to them wanting to know about Jesus. They could have taught only in English, but instead they learned the people's language. 
They went out to several towns and villages around where they lived to start churches there, and they shared in the troubles of the people around them. For example, their family had a truck provided by the the, uh, folks in the States supporting their mission work. But most people in the area are very poor and don't own a vehicle, have to walk everywhere. During the rainy season, it was hard for the people to cross the Montepuez River to get to work or to the fields on the other side. They'd either have to walk for hours to get to the next bridge or they'd have to try to cross this raging river just flooded with with the recent rains. And someone every year would get swept away by the river or every year someone would get attacked by crocodiles. Someone would be killed. Someone would be maimed. Starting in 2013, Alan helped organize a project to build a bridge across the river. You can see the bridge there on the screen so that the people could cross safely right there from their own community. And that was just a part of him doing incarnational ministry, sharing life with these people, blessing them where they were. And his hard work to help them added credibility to his message about Jesus. The people saw he really cared about them as they were. And they were more likely to accept and believe his message about Jesus. Incidentally, the bridge helped church members get to church more easily as well uh, when it was the rainy season. Uh, but his, his goal especially was incarnational ministry. When I had the privilege of traveling with some of our church members uh, here to Honduras in 2007, and I got to preach in the churches there, we went around to several different churches and, and uh, spoke to them. And I had exactly one sermon that I preached that whole time we were there in every church we went to. Same sermon every time. I had spent weeks preparing it in Spanish, which I don't speak well. I had a friend fix it so the grammar and the vocabulary were right. I worked on my pronunciation, and I'm sure my accent was terrible, but I, I think they understood me because at one church, there was a man sitting right in the front row. He would say amen in all the right spots, and so I think I was getting across. I appreciated him to no end. But I just wanted to make it as easy as possible for the people who were there to hear about Jesus. I could have spoken in English and had a translator. That would have worked. But this was my way of doing incarnational ministry. Because didn't Jesus learn the language of the people to whom God sent him? Didn't he speak Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek? Just like the people in his community? I know of a couple of preachers in large cities here in the United States who, with their wives and children, sold their comfortable middle-class homes and bought homes in the bad part of town so that they could minister to the poor in their city better. They didn't make the poor come to them. They went to the poor and became part of their community and just loved their neighbors there. That is incarnational ministry. Now, you may have caught that to do incarnational ministry, to do it well, you have to give something up. What did Jesus give up? He left heaven itself. He emptied himself, as Jack put it, and and became a, a human being, took on the form of a human, a finite, contained, can only be in one place at a time, human being. Paul stepped out of his Jewish comfort zone and lived like a Gentile sometimes. He'd been trained all his life not to do that. 
But he did it for the sake of the people he was ministering to. The Howells moved to Mozambique, became part of the people there. Those preachers raised their children in questionable neighborhoods. And God blessed them there. They made their neighborhoods better by being there. We love Jesus. We love our God. We are very grateful that he loved us before we ever even knew to love him. What can we do to shape ourselves and to shape our approach to other people to make it as easy as possible for them to hear our message about Jesus and possibly receive it? That man who crashed into Erica and then invited her to church, that is not an evangelistic strategy that I would usually recommend. But he did it right. He understood incarnational ministry. And when the opportunity came, he identified with this single mom. He understood her needs. He offered his church to help meet those needs. That woman who was upset about the noisy toy, in her defense, didn't she have the right, after maybe a hard week, I don't know, to come to worship and to have some peace? And to be able to hear the message from God that day and sing with the church and, you know, just, just worship God. Didn't she have that right? Absolutely she had that right. But wouldn't it have been better if, like Paul, she could have given up her right that day and made herself a slave to this single mother for an hour or two? And put herself in Erica's shoes, helped her out a little, maybe, I don't know, sat down with that young mom and played quietly with the kids so that mom could hear the sermon that day, could share in the worship service. That would have been incarnational ministry. By the grace of God, Jesus did not wait until we were sinless to come and save us. He didn't wait until our kids were quiet. (laughs) He didn't wait until we had fixed our lives and gotten ourselves right with God. But he entered into our broken, messed up world and our broken, messed up lives just the way we were. And he became one of us. And he loved us just as we were and loved us too much to leave us that way. And he lived and died as one of us, all because he loved us with the love of God. And God raised him from the dead and gave us hope of eternal life. If we can love people like Jesus did and do incarnational ministry like he did and like Paul modeled for us, we will win some people to Christ, share with them the hope of eternal life, and God will bless them eternally. And we will be blessed together with them. And that will be our great, great joy. May God bless you this week as you look for opportunities to do incarnational ministry with someone God has placed in your life. Let's pray together. Our dear God, we give you thanks for Jesus and for the great love you showed us through him. We thank you for the love you continue to show us as you continue to reach out to us, as you continue to come into our broken and messed up lives and love us and heal us and put us back together and give us great hope both today and for eternity. Lord, open our eyes to the opportunities that you give us this week. Show us, Lord, where we can minister to others, where we can do incarnational ministry. 
Help us with this, Lord. You know that our time is limited, our energy is limited, and sometimes our motivation isn't what it should be. And so help us, dear God, that we may do well and so be like Jesus to the people around us and show your love to them as you have given us such great, great love. We thank you for your kindness to us, Lord, and we ask for your blessing today. In Jesus' name, amen.